In fact, Jesus makes it so clear that we love our enemies. In fact, he actually quoted uh, Leviticus 19 and 20. He said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You've heard that in the law, but I say love your enemies. And I mean, Jesus was not contradicting the law when he said that. I mean, this was up to the court system to take care of all this, not up to the actual people, by the way, just to throw that one out there. There was a actual court system put in place that would judge the people. And we see that actually with this blasphemous man here. But the point that Jesus was making is that we don't take vengeance ourselves. It is all up to God. Hey, faithful listener, grab your cup of coffee and experience the Bible in a way you never have before. P40 Ministries is a podcast that goes through the Bible cover to cover. It's an awesome narrative that focuses your mind and prepares your heart for God to speak. So join your host, Jen, for a biblical podcast that's hilarious, informative, imaginative, and fun. The P40 Ministries podcast. Listen now as we go through the book of Leviticus. Well, hello and good morning, faithful listeners. This is Jen here with the P40 Ministries podcast, and I am just so excited to begin a new week because hopefully it's going to be a little warmer this week here where I live. Once again, last week it was snowing and I was just like, okay. (laughs) Uh, I ended up buying myself a um, like a sun simulator. So it's like a light that supposedly is supposed to like have light like the sun and yes it is like staring into the sun it is so bright (laughs) as far as whether it's making me feel better with the dreary weather we've been having I don't know yet but I guess it's supposed to help with um feelings of of uh just missing the sun (laughs) so I'll let you guys know how that goes but anyway You know what? I hope that you guys really did have a great weekend. So tell me what you guys did. Tell me what the weather was like where you live. And tell me what kind of coffee you're drinking recently or what kind of tea as well. So contact me at p40ministries.com slash contact because I really do love hearing from all of you guys. And you guys are just so great. And I've been reading the reviews you've been leaving. So thank you guys so much. I mean... Some of these reviews just touch me a little bit. And maybe I'll read some of them in the next couple podcast episodes or so, just to give you guys a shout out, because I really, really do appreciate it. But okay, let's go ahead and talk about Leviticus chapter 24, verses 1 all the way to 23, which is literally the entire chapter. And I'm not going to be reading out the W.E.B. today. I'm going to be reading out the N.L.T. today because of one particular passage that I would like to discuss that the W.E.B. just has a little bit too much Old English in. So I'd like to discuss it out of the NLT version. So let's go ahead and talk about Leviticus 24. Grab your Bible, your cup of coffee, or your cup of tea, and let's start. The Lord said to Moses, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light, to keep the lamps burning continually. This is the lampstand that stands in the tabernacle in front of the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron must keep the lamps burning in the Lord's presence all night. 
This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation. Aaron and the priest must tend the lamps on the pure gold lampstand continually in the Lord's presence. You must bake 12 flat loaves of bread from choice flour using four quarts of flour for each loaf. Place the bread before the Lord on the pure gold table and then arrange the loaves in two stacks with six loaves in each stack. Put some pure frankincense near each stack to serve as a representative offering, a special gift presented to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, this bread must be laid out before the Lord as a gift from the Israelites. It is an ongoing expression of the eternal covenant. The loaves of bread will belong to Aaron and to his descendants, who must eat them in a sacred place, for they are most holy. It is the permanent right of the priest to claim this portion of the special gifts presented to the Lord. So I'm going to stop there for now, and then we'll get into the next part in a second. But so the first little portion of Leviticus 24 is talking about the lampstand once again, and how the light on the lampstand, or rather the flame, should never go out. The priests had to continually light them, take care of them, and make sure that the lamps did not go out. Because remember, that was God lighting those lamps with his own fire. So in a way, it was almost like God's presence there in the lampstand. And it's interesting how often we see God's presence mentioned here just in these few verses. I mean, here in verses five all the way through nine, it says that whenever they make the bread for the showbread for that table, it would be in front of God's presence. And the showbread on the table was literally across from the lampstand, which is where God's light was. So yeah, I mean, the bread was literally in front of God's presence. And so I just think that that's kind of cool that God's spirit or God's presence was there in the holy place all the time because his presence was there being lit on the lampstand. So his presence could never go out. And I mean, yes, God could have probably continued like an eternal fire forever, but he wanted his priests to do things in a way that honored him. And so they had to constantly be tending to the fire to make sure it never went out. So whatever that means, probably just adding more oil to make sure that that flame never went out. And so then in verses five, all the way through nine, it talks about the showbread. And it says that every single Sabbath day, the showbread would have to be replaced. And this was a gift from the Israelite people. So the gift would be 12 loaves of bread, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And it would be made with really nice choice flour. Now, I don't know who made this bread. Maybe it was a bunch of different Israelite women that came together to make the bread every week. And that was their job, their role. Maybe it was the priests. Maybe it was, I don't know who it was. Maybe it was the servants. Now, throughout the week, I believe that these priests could kind of dig in. And we talked about why this was necessary, because the bread in front of God's presence, the priests would be eating the showbread at that table and would be having fellowship with God. Yeah, so the bread was supposed to be laid out on the table as like a showpiece in a way, six loaves on the top, and then the next row would have six loaves representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then the priest could eat it in front of God's presence, almost as if having communion with God or fellowship with God or just kind of hanging out with God's presence while eating. We see how important eating is all throughout scripture because eating is a way for people to come together and enjoy each other's presence. And that's still true to this day. 
Everybody enjoys sharing a good dinner with each other. So then in verses 10 all the way to 23 at the very end, I'm going to go ahead and read this. And this is kind of uh, absurd that this is sort of stuck in here in Leviticus because, because it kind of feels like it just takes like a total left turn, like out of nowhere. The title of this in the NLT is called An Example of a Just Punishment. So let's see what happens to this man here who blasphemes God. And we'll talk about this. So I'm going to be reading Leviticus uh, 24 verses 10 all the way through 23. One day, a man who had an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father came out of his tent and got into a fight with one of the Israelite men. During the fight, this son of an Israelite woman blasphemed the name of the Lord with a curse. So the man was brought to Moses for judgment. His mother was Shalemeth, the daughter of Debri, the tribe of Dan. They kept the man in custody until the Lord's will in the matter should come clear to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the blasphemer outside the camp and tell all of those who heard the curse to lay their hands on his head. Then let the entire community stone him to death. Say to the people of Israel, those who curse their God will be punished for their sin. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be stoned to death by the whole community of Israel. Any native born Israelite or foreigner among you who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. Anyone who takes another person's life must be put to death, and anyone who kills another person's animal must pay for it in full, a live animal for the animal that was killed. Anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury afflicted, a fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. Whoever kills an animal must pay for it in full, but whoever kills another person must be put to death." This same standard applies to both the native-born Israelites and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. After Moses gave all of these instructions to the Israelites, they took the blasphemer outside of the camp and stoned him to death. The Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the first time I ever read this, I have to be honest, I was kind of like, what's the big deal? Like, why did this guy, why did God command this guy to die? Like, what's the big deal? So when I read it this time around, before I started this podcast episode and was kind of researching it, I prayed to ask God, like, what happened to God that you ordered the death of this man? And so I was thinking about it, and I remembered a verse from Leviticus chapter 20, and we only just did it a couple weeks ago. And the verse says in verse 9, anyone who curses their father or their mother is to be put to death. Because they have cursed their father or their mother, their blood will be on their own head. We talked about that. I mean, we talked about that pretty in depth as to why God ordered the death of anybody who cursed their mother or their father. And it was because a curse was the same as wanting to kill your own mother and your own father. And we talked about what the curse could have been. We, I mean, it could have been very pagan. It could have been like almost like voodoo. It could have been calling down a specific type of curse. But more likely than not, it was calling for a curse of death. And to God, this was the same as going out and killing your own mother or your father. And anybody who did this to their parents called down a curse of death on their parents because they hated their parents so much and did it very publicly was to be put to death. And this is exactly what this man did, except he didn't call it down on his own physical parents. He called it down 
on God himself. And I mean, how many times has God called himself the father of his people? And this guy who was both an Israelite and an Egyptian called down a curse on God. And on top of that, he was a very violent man. He goes out and causes just a conflict with an Israelite man because that's all the information we're given here. And to me, it kind of seems like this came out of nowhere because it says he came out of his tent and got into a fight with one of the Israelite men. And like, we don't know what happened, what this Israelite guy did, but it sounds to me like there was something kind of off about this Israelite and Egyptian man. But during the fight, this guy blasphemed the name of the Lord with a curse. And it's pretty clear here in the NLT version that it says with a curse. Kind of the same exact thing that we read about if someone like brought down a curse, like a death curse on their parents. And I I believe, if I'm thinking correctly, I believe that this is kind of the same thing. And so the man was brought to Moses for judgment and he was kept in custody. So basically they put him in like a jail cell until Moses could go talk to God and decide what to do with this guy who was both violent and blasphemed God's name. So finally, God says to Moses, take the blasphemer out of the camp and tell all those who heard the curse to lay their hands on his head. So remember, it had to have two witnesses. Any death sentence had to have two people that witnessed the guy doing this. And this was very publicly, it sounds like, because it sounds like this Egyptian and Israelite guy was just like out in the streets doing this. So there was definitely two or more witnesses that heard this guy doing this. But God says that the entire community at that point, not just the men who heard it, but the entire community was to stone this guy for his sin. Same punishment, you know, as the as the curse on the parents. God goes on to say that any foreigner or native born Israelite who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. And then God goes on to say anyone who takes another person's life must be put to death. And then God kind of goes into a few rules here about both uh, humans and animals, what the punishments were if you just went out and killed either a human or an animal. So by doing so, God is actually equating a curse like this with murder. And I think this almost like mirrors what Jesus says, that if you hate somebody in your heart, you are committing murder against that person in your heart. So this just mirrors that. But anyway, in verses 17, all the way down to verse 22, God goes on to say, anyone who takes another person's life must be put to death. Then he says, anyone who kills another person's animal must pay for it in full with a live animal for the animal that was killed. So there God is saying the difference between human life and animal life, though both were supposed to be punished Only one was punishable by death, and that was if you killed another person, but not if you killed another person's animal. Though, if you did kill another person's animal, that was wrong, and God was placing value on the animal's life to the point where that man would have to pay for that animal in full, either by giving them another animal. And we're thinking, I'm thinking here like sheep and cattle, because that was probably the most common animal's that uh, people had back in those days. But even so, that'd be a big expense out of pocket to pay for um, an animal 
that a person just went out and killed. But then it says that anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury afflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. And I mean, this is just pure justice right here. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I mean, this law was fantastic for these people back in these days that didn't have a court system in place. This was immediate justice. God was saying, if this happens, if somebody is cruel to somebody, here is the payment. Basically, whatever that person does to hurt another person, it had to be done to that person as well. It was God putting justice in place for people who would hurt other people by saying that anything that this guy does to hurt another person, whether it's killing their animal, whether it's uh, killing that person, or whether it is just injuring that person for no reason, cruel people would immediately get punished in the same way that they hurt the other person. And I mean, if that's not justice, I don't know what is. But then God goes on to say, this same standards applies to both the native-born Israelite and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. And then afterward, Moses gave all these instructions to the Israelites, and they took the blasphemer outside the camp and stoned him to death. The Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So justice was served. And we also don't know the level of destruction that this guy caused to that Israelite man. We don't know what happened there either. But God is really clear here that anybody who curses their God will be punished for their sin. That's that's what the verse says here in verse 15. Those who curse their God will be punished for their sin. And that's true to this day. That's true now. And even though it's not going to be the same way as the Old Testament, because we don't live by the Old Testament anymore. This was for the ancient Israelites to follow and obey. But even though we don't live by it, God is still going to punish blasphemers for their sins. And I mean, it says that when Jesus returns, he's going to return with judgment. And we don't like to talk about that because that's not flowery. That's not Jesus being tolerant or, you know, wrapping his arms around the sinners. And even though, yeah, he does. I mean, he clearly loves sinners because he died for them. He died for everybody, including me. So yeah, Jesus does love the sinners. But the people who continue to blaspheme him, who continue to blaspheme the Holy Spirit and who continue to just make a light of God, persecute Christians, kind of like this Egyptian man did to this Israelite guy. The people who do these things are going to be punished in some way or another. And we don't know what that is yet, but it does say that Jesus is going to return with judgment for all the people. Because the people at that point, when Jesus returns, everyone is going to know the truth. And I believe that Jesus is going to return once everybody has had a chance to understand and know God, but still chose to reject that word of God. I think that's when Jesus is going to come back and, and show his judgment, just kind of like the days of Noah. In fact, Jesus was kind of very clear that uh, the world will be like the days of Noah when Jesus comes back to judge the earth. And I mean, what were the days of Noah? If you guys were listening back way in my uh, Genesis episodes, you'll remember that Noah was literally the only righteous guy left on earth. It doesn't even say that Noah's family was righteous. It was only Noah that was a nice guy. That was a good guy that walked with God. One man left on earth that actually loved God. And everybody else 
chose to reject God, even though they knew who God was. Because, I mean, God was still pretty active, like, physically with his people during that time period. It says in the Bible that he actually walked with people back in those days, like, physically walked with them. I believe Enoch, who was only a couple generations before Noah, physically walked with God. (laughs) And then God just, like, took Enoch up into heaven because Enoch was such a great guy. But yeah, I mean, Noah was like the only righteous guy left (laughs) in the world at that time period. But anyway, the moral of this story, I believe, is not that God is mean. It's not that God harshly judges people. It's not that God uh, hates people that are Israelite and Egyptian or whatever. It's that God is just. And that's it. God is very just. This man here cursed his father, his heavenly father. And it was already said what the punishment for that was going to be. So there can't be any surprise when we read this in scripture and we're just like, oh, yeah, I mean, God is so mean. Well, no, I mean, God was very clear what was going to happen to a person that cursed either their mother or their father or even their heavenly father. And so we need to just look at this for what it is as God deserves respect and someday Every single person on earth is going to proclaim God's name. Their knee will bow in front of God and their tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It doesn't matter what kind of blasphemer they were on earth. They are someday going to be humbled in front of God. People who persecute us now, people who uh, curse God and call Christians evil for following God someday will be humbled in the presence of God. So to conclude, does this mean that you and I are supposed to go out and stone people that uh, that blaspheme God? <laughs> no. And I mean, Jesus makes that really clear that we don't do that. In fact, Jesus makes it so clear that we love our enemies. In fact, he actually quoted uh, Leviticus 19 and 20. He said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You've heard that in the law, but I say, love your enemies. And I mean, Jesus was not contradicting the law when he said that. I mean, this was up to the court system to take care of all this, not up to the actual people, by the way, just to throw that one out there. This was not the people like just deciding that they were going to do this. There was a actual court system put in place that would judge the people. And we see that actually with this blasphemous man here. But the point that Jesus was making is that we don't take vengeance ourselves. It is all up to God. In fact, even this story here in Leviticus talks about how this was all up to God. I mean, God was the one who took uh, vengeance out on this man. But the point is, Jesus makes it really clear that no, we don't go out and kill people who we think uh, they blaspheme God. You and I should not be Firstly, judging those people, especially if they are not Christians. If they are Christians, yes, we can, in fact, judge them. And uh, if somebody is causing that kind of problem in the church, there is a clear step that needs to be taken if somebody is blaspheming God in the church. And uh, both Jesus and Paul talk about that, but that's a subject for a different day. But the point I'm trying to make is that no, we don't go out and stone people. In fact, we are supposed to be praying for that individual that persecutes us. We are supposed to be loving them and leaving it up to God because we don't know how we can affect that person who is blaspheming God. We don't know if we can actually help that person. And maybe someday through our love of that, uh, that persecuting person, we don't know if they're gonna start coming to God because of how we treat them when they were so cruel to us. But we can look forward to the day that Jesus comes back 
we can look forward to that day because that's the day when Jesus is going to make everything right. And there is nothing wrong with looking forward to that day at all. In fact, Jesus says to have us pray for that day to come sooner because that is the day when everything is going to be made right. Well, guys, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. It was a rather long one. It was almost 30 minutes of me just uh, talking and talking. <laughs> but I mean, this was a really interesting one to talk about. We talked about uh, the showbread and the lamp. We also talked about uh, the punishment of the blasphemous man in Leviticus. And uh, yeah, that's about it. So guys, join in tomorrow for an episode out of Luke because I'm going to be having another guest on the podcast. And he was one that uh, joined me for an episode I did about a month ago called Salty French Fries. I don't know if you guys listened to that episode or not. But if you did, I recommend going back and listening to it because Steve was on the podcast then. And he's going to be back on the P40 Ministries podcast tomorrow discussing a portion of Luke with me. So join in then because it's going to be a great time. But friends and faithful listeners, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. As always, happy listening and God bless. 